that if they get like a 99.8 degree fever and have a cough or a sniffle, they're going to present at the emergency. Today is Sunday, March 15th, 2020, time for episode 105 of the Barnhart Podcast. Uh, this podcast is going to go viral, and we're going to be talking about all kinds of all kinds of viral stuff. And oh, boo! Do I need to start over? No, no, no. Okay. Well, and, and I don't want to make I don't want to give the impression that I'm, I'm taking this not seriously. Uh, we definitely got some email feedback that um, you know chastising us for not taking this seriously. And I don't I don't know if Anne's opinion has changed since the last time we gave a podcast, but I definitely have. Certainly, the the sudden spike in the rate of increase of COVID-19 right here in the United States, right in the middle of the United States. Uh, I thought it was pretty funny. Well, not funny. It was interesting that um, not far from where I live, uh, somebody made a press conference um, saying that there were no coronavirus uh, cases that were known in the county. And then three hours later, had to, had to come back, give a new press conference saying somebody just died of COVID-19 in the county. Um, now, how in the world it got to the middle of the United States into a nursing home? Uh, and, and apparently it was linked to the same nursing home up in up in Washington. Um, I shouldn't say linked. The owner of that nursing home also owns a ner- nursing home up in the Seattle area where 20 people died uh, from this. Um, that's that's another thing. But we, there are cases popping up all over now. There, I think in Kansas there's eight cases now, or maybe it's 16. I forget what. Uh, popping up all over Missouri. The um, uh, the newspapers are, are pointing out just how much power the states have if they need it to lock down and quarantine. The National Guard has been called up, uh, at least on standby, all over the country. Uh, they're taking this pretty darn seriously, and even even for the first time, I don't know if it, I don't know if it's the first time in history, but uh, Trump called a national state of emergency, which allows them to do all kinds of interesting things and 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 slash red tape and get things done. They had this the big press conference on the the Rose Garden East Lawn. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know if that's east or south, the lawn of the White House, where uh, Walmart and Target are cooperating, CVS and Walgreens are cooperating, which that's CVS and Walgreens, the owners of that company used to be married, and then they split, and they, it was a really acrimonious split. I, I, think that, I think the owners originally have sold the company each uh, by this point, but it, there, is such an acrim- there was such an acrimonious relationship between them that everywhere you see a Walgreens, CVS would put up a, a shop and vice versa because they just wanted to dig at each other. Uh, so, so the fact that so the fact that they're cooperating is kind of interesting. Oh, isn't that sweet? <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but. Um, <laughs> The state of New York, uh, the governor made a big point about how they're manufacturing in New York. I forget what, what crazy uh, lame name they gave it, but basically New York State version of Purell. And uh, was was uh, hyping the fact that unlike Purell, which is 70% alcohol, this is 75% alcohol. And the virologists and health people are saying, um, it's supposed to be 70 for a reason, you idiots. Oh, by the way, this is being manufactured in New York State Prison. So you got that going for you. Got that going for put you. Those, put good. those people to, to labor, uh, to, to work. <laughs> Yeah, I think, think, thanks to the Thirteenth Amendment, you can use them as slave labor. Uh, that's a topic for another show. But that's the, another show. <laughs> it is, but uh, there's uh, a lot of people are showing 
elements of their personality that you might not have noticed previously. Zoomers especially. They're referring to this. Uh, oh, co- wait a minute. For, for those who might not know, would you please define Zoomer? Um, they are the young generation, even younger than the millennials. I don't remember off the top of my head what age range they are. There might be people born around 2000. Um, well, they're young. 20. They're, so, they're, they're yeah. younger than millennials. And, and um, they, they apparently a common phrase among the Zoomers because COVID-19 doesn't kill people in their age range. They're calling it a boomer remover and saying, mm-hmm. we're going to save trillions on Social Security thanks to this thing. That's a pretty dark way of looking at things. Well, I, I think the Zoomers are not the first ones to say something like that. I suppose that it's possible that people like Bill Gates and George Soros originated that line of thought. Um, no doubt. No doubt. In fact, they're they're. I just I just got finished reading something that they're finding out that in Wuhan, China, there are bio labs. Oh, there's one owned by Bill Gates and there's one owned by George Soros. And you're like, you can't make this up. You can't even make this up. So there you go. Well, uh, what I would like to say, and as I start angering, uh, <laughs> angering a goodly portion portion of the listenership, maybe, maybe not. But you know me, I say what I think and, you know. Let let the chips fall where they may. Uh, it's worked. It's worked pretty well for me so far. Um, this thing, this Corona, as we're all reading and learning about this, I stand fully corrected. This is not a type of influenza. It's it's even more um, it's even more pedestrian than that. Coronas, these coronaviruses, not the beer, um, which I did have one. I I did have to have one. I had a Corona on Tuesday with salt and lots of salt and lime, and it was it was actually surprisingly good. I hadn't had one in a while. Um, but the Corona family of viruses are what we all called up until just now. That family of viruses is what we called colds. That's right. We call coronaviruses colds. That's the distinction between um, I have a flu, I have the flu versus I have a cold. If you were ever one of those people who ever were so sick that you went to the doctor and actually got swabbed and tested for anything, um, and it's a and the doctor came back and said, "No, you don't have the flu. It's it's just a cold." Um, it that meant that it was it was a corona of some sort. Isn't that interesting? So um, what this thing is, is it's basically, it's a nasty, deep chest cold. Now let's think about, let's just stop and think about this. How is it, can you even imagine that it could in any way be possible to contain a, a cold virus? And, you know, Super Nerd, you just brought up that it was discovered in a nursing home in the county that you live in, right in the middle of the of the continental United States or kind of sort of in the middle of the continental United States. And how, how in the hell did it get did it get there? You know what? This it's a cold virus. These things are extremely communicable. However, this is this is our life. Go ahead. One of the things I read about COVID-19 is that it, it is a strain that has not been seen before. And this is something that's catching the virologists by uh, by surprise. And one of the mm-hmm. reasons they're reacting the way they are, unlike seasonal flus and colds, we kind of have a herd mentality or herd, herd mentality. We have that, too. We have a herd uh, immunization to the common cold and, and um, 
and, and the seasonal flu. It still kills about one-tenth of one percent, I mean, which is non-trivial numbers. People die from, from the flu all the time. Oh, but yeah. they don't sweep through the population at uh, exponential rates like this one is because this is something brand new that human bodies haven't seen before. That's that's the prevailing theory right now by, by virologists. That's why they're pushing governments to literally declare states of emergency, not just literally feel like it. Um, we haven't gone to full lockdown anywhere here in the U.S., but uh, Spain, I think, is on full lockdown now. Germany closed its borders, which is amazing. Um, Italy is. I, thought, I saw another 400 people died in the last 24 hours. France, they're they're actually at the point where they're starting to lock down the country. Even the Muslims might might obey that one. We'll we'll see. Um, I just saw yeah. That was about, my question about France. Are the are the Musloid Sharia no go zones? Are they going to comply with any of that? Won't that be an interesting dynamic to see if that how that plays out? Yeah. Well, if it if it can survive on the wind and carry in, then maybe. Um, I, I don't. I don't think many people are going to want to go into the who have it would want to go into those zones anyway. But I guess people coming out of those zones and then going back in might might um, might carry it back. But uh, a lot of countries are really really taking this seriously right now. Um, South Korea more or less went on full lockdown, and they're they're pointing to them and the way they they treated that as as a model to follow right now because they flattened the curve. They didn't have the exponential exponential growth, and uh, they're starting to turn the corner now and, and come out of it. Um, well, the unless thing it rebounds, I don't know. The thing that's really tricky about this, like, for example, the the um, fresh Italian data for today, Sunday, um, was released not, not too terribly long ago. And there's this big increase in the number of diagnosed cases. And, you, and, you know, you would look at that and you would say, oh, my gosh, look at that. Here's what here's the other part of the story, though. When you dig deeper into the into that reportage, you say, oh, by the they say, oh, by the way, the reason that there's this huge spike in the number of cases is because we just got a whole big bunch of test kits in. And so we've been testing way more people. And you say, oh, that's why that happened. Okay. Well, that's going to happen you, this this week or the next here in, in the United States because, I mean, because well, I think, yeah. was it last week they said they did 77 tests nationally? Well, nobody's got the darn test yet. And that was part of the big... Um, Kumbaya, we're all going to work together, is, is uh, Quest Diagnostics and I forget who the other, Roche and, and some of the other big clinical testing companies are going to put aside um, doing some of their other work and, and uh-huh. devote a lot of resources to doing uh, COVID-19 tests. And that that's going to coincide with also, I think, in Walmart and Target and other parking lots of major retailers, they're going to cordon off portions of their their parking lots to have drive through testing facilities that then go straight to Roche or or um, whoever the local testing uh, outfit is that, that can process those tests. Yeah, we're going to go from having we think we have this many to probably a hundred fold increase simply because we have the tests now. And, well, that's and exactly that's the thing. And when you're talking about these statistics, you cannot, and this kind of goes back to something that, believe it or not, that I taught in my cattle marketing schools, you cannot have any sort of intel- of an intelligent discussion about mortality rates, m- uh, morbidity rates, anything, unless you have in your fraction both the numerator, which that's easy. If you're talking about deaths, for example, that's pretty easy to get your finger on. You can get your finger on fatalities. Okay. But what's the other part of a percentage? What's the other part of a ratio? You have to have a denominator. Well, what's your denominator? What are you using? If you if you are hardly testing anybody or um, you know, you're only testing the people who are 
presenting at the emergency room severely ill, well, of course, it's going to look like it's killing 33% or something like that, you know? What about all the people who have it? It manifests as a cold or even a deep chest cold. They go home, they go to bed, they get a fever, as we all always have, and they they get over it. There's also going to be a lot of people, including a lot of little people, the younglings, who are going to be carriers of this thing, as we all are carriers of viruses and germs and bugs. I mean, this this notion that you can now never leave the house again because you might potentially be carrying something and you're going to be murdering old people if you ever leave your house ever again. This and this is where specifically um in fact one of our one of our dear listeners who we love said, "Well, Anne's gaslighting because she's saying that you're crazy if you're not taking this seriously." Guys, we are all at all times carriers of all kinds of things. We at all times, we have germs on our hands. Do you remember um super uh, did you super nerd you went to a you went to like junior high, right? You went to a school. You weren't homeschooled, were you? No, I went to uh, St. Mary's Academy. That's a private Catholic school. Did you do in either junior high or high school the thing where you take a swab sample of a doorknob in your school and then put it on a Petri dish and see what grows. Did you ever do that? No, we were studying Latin and Greek history. Ah, well, we did it in um, eighth grade, seventh grade, seventh grade. We did it in seventh grade. Staff, strep, I mean, everything under the sun grew in the Petri dish just by taking a swab off of the doorknob in the seventh grade science classroom. Well, of course, everything is covered in germs and viruses and crap all the time. God gave us immune systems. That's what the immune system does. Everybody's completely forgetting that we have immune systems and what you you always have infections, bacteria, invaders in in and on your body. You know what you also have inside your body that you at all times that your immune system is constantly taking care of and sweeping clean? Cancer. Everybody has cancer all the time. What is cancer? It is a cell that is mutated inside of your body and then splits um, and starts and the the bad mutated not good cells start reproducing. This happens in our body all the time. The difference between people who get cancer, cancer, and just all of us who are healthy every day um, is that your immune system, that's one of the primary things that your immune system does. It goes and it polices your own body and your own cells and your white blood cells identify and kill rogue mutant cells of your own DNA inside of your body. Your immune system also handles bacterial and viral stuff. We have this stuff all the time. Yes, children have this stuff all the time. What are you going to do? Are you going to now say that children can never, ever be around their grandparents ever again? Because children are asymptomatic carriers of viruses, bacteria, disease, etc., and therefore, they can never be around any grandparent over the age of 70 or 75 because the, the child will then essentially passively murder their grandparents. That's where all of this is going. I mean, this is 
well, it, if it's it if it's a new if it's a new germ, a new virus that's, that we haven't seen before, I mean, it, it make a crazy football analogy. Um, if you're not a, a fan of American football, just hit the I believe button on this one. But um, Belichick is is the the coach of, of the New England Patriots. He puts more effort into prepping his team and, and defenses for how the other team plays offense. But if they start doing things they've never seen before, the other team's going to win. I mean, you you can't you if you if you're fighting somebody who always throws a right hand punch and suddenly they start fighting you left handed and you were not prepared for that, you're going down. And that, I think that's the the bigger concern here. And you mentioned uh, kids with asymptomatic conditions. I'm reading some stuff that even people who are asymptomatic or get over it quickly have lasting effects from this. Um, you mentioned the possibility that that um, younger people who get this might get might end up being sterilized in some cases because of this virus. I had read something about reduced lung no, capacity. No, that wasn't me. That function. must have been someone else. I hadn't heard that. No. Okay, it was somebody else. It was just mm-hmm. mentioning. And uh, while we're while we are recording here on Sunday afternoon, I just got, I just got a text message for, uh, from somebody who said the guy who threw the Pachamama into the Tiber has has coronavirus now. Oh, really? Uh, Schoigel. Okay. Well, prayers for him. I'm sure he'll self quarantine and. He's a big, strong guy, but we'll absolutely lift him up in prayer. No question. That's all I was going with that. Is, is just that the idea that, that one of the big differences here, yes, I mean, everything you're saying about the immune system is correct, but when you introduce something that the immune system has never seen before, I mean, it's like the American Indians when the, when the, the settlers came over. Uh, they had never, they, the, their systems were very robust to deal with all the, the maladies. I mean, I don't think they got typhoid or, or any of the stuff that the Europeans got just simply by being here. But conversely, their systems the have never pox. seen anything like smallpox, which right. wiped them out. So anytime you, you cross pollinate, and, and, and that's something that, you know, with, with this whole problem, uh, the, the whole pandemic is that uh, it, it's being seen as an indictment of globalism. And the mm-hmm. fact that something which should have, you know, I, Something like coronavirus, SARS, uh, MERS, um, Zika, we've seen so many of these things over the last few years. And and one of the common attributes is it's coming from someplace else where it's probably not that uncommon and it's built into their immune systems. They can deal with it better than most. And I think you mentioned that one of the one of the things I don't know that's been talked about about Wuhan and found some pictures of it. Wuhan's air makes Mexico City look like a, a clear day. Yeah, yeah. That on a clear day in Wuhan, you cannot see the sky. All you see is like a, a brown haze overhead. Yep, that's a good day. And they all smoke like dragons, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, if if, if the air is going to make you sick, why not add yeah. sticks on top <laughs> of it? Right. So, and, and that was one of the that was one of the things that made um, COVID-19 uh, hit people harder is if they had some other secondary condition. Like, I don't know, you're already on the edge of, of being in respiratory distress just simply by breathing the air. That That might mm-hmm. be a complicating factor there. However, and then how about diabetes? How about um, heart disease? How about, um, I saw Dr. Drew Pinsky said, you know, basically, if you are a smoker and you're over the age of 50 or 55, well, maybe it not might be a, it might not be a bad idea for you to be extra vigilant about this. But then again, I mean, you've made the free, you've made the free choice to essentially destroy your own lungs and open them up to infection by being by being a smoker all right what why why does the entire rest of the planet have to go into economic suicide total economic suicide over this and you know 
the, the question that just keeps coming back to my mind is, what is the denominator here? What is the denominator in this ratio? And there's nobody has any idea. And I would guess that because this thing is a corona and knowing how, how hyper contagious the common cold is, which is a corona, um, yeah, why would we think that the denominator on this isn't going to be absolutely enormous? And and understand when I say that, that's that's actually a good thing in a certain sense, because it means that the vast, 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 vast majority of people get it, either have no symptoms, mild symptoms, um, moderate symptoms, and shake it off, you know? I, I just... I'm, you keep seeing the reports out of Italy and, you know, the, so many people are dying and so forth. And you look at the demographics and it's, you know, 96 year old man who was already dying of not cancer, but something else. I mean, it, every single one of them reads like that. It's, it's over, it's generally over 75 with pre-extant comorbidity. These people were in bad shape to start with. So people out there listening in the US you're over the age of 70 or 75 you're not in the best shape you already have a pre-existing condition of some sort by all means be hypervigilant you've been dispensed from even going to mass hey there's all people are coming online in droves now with um live streaming latin masses on on the internet hooray so yeah there's your your um, you're excused from going to mass and you can watch all kinds of now cool, super, super cool masses on the internet. Fantastic. Okay. Yes. Be vigilant. However, the, the whole notion that, that it's, that we need to do what, what we're doing and it, it, it's the panic. It's, I strongly, strongly suspect that it's not that if there are tremendous, horrible problems in the United States, it's not going to be the virus. It's going to be the panic, which you're already seeing. And which, by the way, interestingly enough, is not going on in Italy. People are not panicking. Um, grocery stores are not um, sitting empty and unserviced. There was at the beginning in Milan, there was there were a couple pictures of um, bare shelves in grocery stores, but that didn't last very long at all. People aren't panicking. People in the United States, where the number of cases of this thing are measured in the, the dozens, um, people are full-blown panicking. The, you know, Walmartians and world star hip hop type people are losing their minds and that is going to be the danger. And it, mark my words, if hospitals are overrun and there's any problem with um, hospital capacity, I'll tell you exactly why it's going to be. It's going to be because Americans are going, because they've been so um, pumped and primed by the media to think that this is some sort of a guaranteed death sentence um, uber plague, that if they get like a 99.8 degree fever and have a cough or a sniffle, they're going to present at the emergency room and they are going to demand to be admitted. And if they are, and if they are 
given any resistance at all, they're going to fly into rages. They're going to start threatening lawsuits. They're going, and I'm telling you, it's going to be that. It's not going to be people presenting. I think there's also, I think there's also something to be said when it comes to the media pumping this up. A lot of them seem to think this is going to be the death knell for Trump getting reelected. So the worst uh, Corona gets the worse it'll be for Trump. And and yes, we, we mentioned last time the whole idea of um, media malpractice or, or media terrorism trying to hype this up worse than yep. it is. I think that the ulterior motive is that they want to they want to make Trump look bad. And a secondary consequence of this is going to be, I've never heard the term while Martians before I had to write that one down uh, is, is all of this, this um, panic. I mean, we've talked about for interestingly, we just had a prepping uh, podcast a couple of couple episodes ago, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. in a situation where if you didn't prep and you go for supplies and they're all out, how long will it take for a breakdown of society and for violence to erupt? Now, granted, if there's something going around that the media is telling you will kill you if you're out in public, that might tamp it down a little bit. But in terms of breakdown and people demanding things, um, probably pretty quick. We haven't seen that yet, but we'll we've see. seen some wall Martian fist fights, but that's that's about it over toilet over toilet paper. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just. Um, <sighs> Uh, it's it's going to be the panic, and it's that's going to be the problem. And this is why I've been talking for years and years and years and years about prepping. You're, I mean, I've got, <laughs> I've got a bunch of spaghetti. Let me put it to you that way. I got a bunch of lentils. I got a bunch of beans. Ain't ain't nobody starving to death up in here. In fact, quite to the contrary, I'm probably this is going to probably be one of the first instances where there's <laughs> there's some sort of a. Uh, panic and and societal breakdown and people end up like gaining weight because of it because everybody's going to go back to eating just you know a bunch of noodles and stuff but I know that's the case with me I mean when your diet shifts from low carb and then you go back to a to a carb heavy thing you got to be careful you got to make sure that you're getting your getting your exercise and and thank goodness, thank goodness, one of the things that I do have, one of the very few possessions I do have left is a rowing machine. So I have, there's, I will never be um, lacking for any physical exercise because I can always jump on the rower, which is about the best kind of exercise you can get. But, you know. A rower down by the river definitely makes sense. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, you mentioned how people are, are handling things in Italy. It's certainly, um, we, we probably would not see in the United States the the um, observance. I, I'm sure you've seen these videos online of people going out to their balconies and singing opera arias. I, mm-hmm. I, I think if you tried that in the Bronx, you're going to get some very immediate and very um, pointed um, constructive criticism about your voice and what you can do with it. Well, and the other thing to remember is over in Italy, and this is another point about both Italy and China, which I think is very interesting. Um, In both places, China is obviously far worse, but in Italy too. You guys, you need to understand, almost nobody in Italy lives in a detached house. The, the percentage of the populations that lives in a single freestanding detached house in Italy is very, very small. People are compacted into urban and suburban sprawl areas. And even in um, relatively small towns, small little villages, the houses are, are attached. The buildings are all attached to each other. And so people live in 
much, much closer proximity to their neighbors in a far greater concentration than almost anywhere in the U.S., outside of, you know, seriously urban cities like New York City and Chicago, you know, um, that's the only thing that's even close to what's, you know, standard over in Italy and certainly also over in China. Needless to say, people just live on top of each other in China. A lot of people have to share bathroom facilities. You know, there's one bathroom on a floor of a building or something like that. So um, you got to remember how, how, packed in close people are and but that in Italy I've seen those videos too of the people singing opera and you know or there's other videos of you know them singing popular songs and everybody's singing and things like that people are so much closer and in so much density with each other that that you know things like that can happen whereas in the US everybody lives in a detached home on a um you know suburban sprawl cul-de-sac whatever you know and people just aren't that physically close to each other. So even if, if somebody went out and stood in their front yard and started singing opera arias, only maybe a dozen people would even be able to hear it. Whereas over in Italy, well, you've got, if you're in a big apartment block, um, you could get to where you could be, there could be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people hearing you do something like that. So those kind of things, those little morale boosters, that works over in Italy, but it would never work in the United States. Did you see the video of somebody in, apparently it's a uh, apartment block in Germany, someone going to their balcony and starting to sing uh, 99 Red Balloons, except it's the German version of it. And immediately people start yelling, quiet, hey, the rules in, in, in the apartment block forbid oh, yeah. what you're doing. I'm calling the cops. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, oh, yeah. this is the difference between Germans and, and Italians. God bless them. I've been told that in Austria and Germany, if you get on a, like a public train or a tram, anything like that, any kind of public transport, and your phone rings, that people will answer their phone and they will whisper into their phone, I can't talk right now. I'm on the train. I mean, you know, whereas in other places, people are shouting into their phones and everything. No, ger that German culture is all about silence, keep your mouth shut, da 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 da. And, you know, there's there's certainly good and bad to that, but I think it's I don't know that that kind of whole uber repressed um, misanthropic almost kind of a culture that's that's not good. Well, you mentioned Italy; they're not freaking out. But uh, Edward Penton published an article saying that uh, I think quoting Bishop Vigano or Archbishop Vigano on coronavirus mm -hmm. that canceling masses is helping to fuel fear and panic. Mm -hmm. Was it really necessary to start closing down churches in Italy? Well, the ch the churches aren't physically shuttered in Italy, except up in the north. Um, so that's that's some mi misinformation that's going around. They were closed in Rome for, I think, 24 hours or maybe even less than 24 hours. I'm sure all the listeners out there probably saw that mess, that they ordered all the churches closed and then... The next day, like the next morning, oh, no, never mind, because they got so much blowback on that. And then anti-Pope Bergoglio and the Secretary of State or whoever, or I, I can't even keep track of all these people, they're blaming each other. And they, well, no, he told me, to. no, you told me to close. Well, no, you did this. And it's it's a complete language. It's a complete shit show. I mean, and are, are we... 
are we surprised? Of course not. Of course not. These people are all, they're, they're psychopaths and they're also incompetent. Um, they can't even get their lives straight with each other. So the churches are not physically closed in, in most of Italy. Um, there are masses being said. Um, they're private masses. But th- this, is, this is an interesting thing. I think a lot of people don't understand what that means. What is the difference between a public mass and a private mass? Well, if, for example you walk into a church in Italy that is open all day, as many, many, many of them are. And let's just say there's a priest in that parish and he's he needs to say his mass for the day. And so he walks out of the sacristy and, you know, there's a, there's a, not the main altar, but there's a transept altar or a side altar or something. And he goes up to the, the transept or side altar and he might have a server, he might not. And he offers the holy and August sacrifice of the mass. He does it at a whisper. You can't hear him speaking at all or the server making the responses. It's done at a whisper. Um, and probably you're, you're probably going to be behind some sort of a rope or barricade or something. But you can clearly see him. He's, you know, only a matter of feet away from you. And if you're a daily mass goer, well, if you're a daily mass goer, you can look at a priest saying a private mass on the altar and just by where the missile is, the posture that he's in, how he has his hands, you can tell almost immediately exactly where he is in the mass. And so you can then, if you just, let's say, hypothetically happen to be in the church when this priest says his private mass, and this is this is now, and this is before too. I mean, they're in in Rome in that parish there. Like when they do the Samorum Pontificum uh, pilgrimage, and everybody goes to Rome. All the trad priests go to Rome. There are pictures of that parish where there are like six masses being said simultaneously. You know, one on the high altar and five on side altars going simultaneously. The one on the high altar is public. The, all the ones on the side, those are all quote unquote private masses. If you want to, you can attach yourself to any one of those private masses and you can say, okay, oh, I've, there's, I know that priest and he's on the uh, St. Philip Neri altar and oh, that's nice. He's just now processing out. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to attach myself um, to his mass and I'll, I'll near, kneel down and I've got my missile or, you know, I've got my phone and I can open Divinium Officium and I can follow along with his mass. That's what a private mass is. It doesn't mean that he's hidden in some, some closet somewhere or something. Oh, and the other thing about private masses, generally, and especially right now, obviously, um, Holy Communion is not distributed, obviously. Um, I, I've, I have been to private masses where, of course, Father asked me before, would you like to communicate? And I say either yes or no. And I have communicated at private masses. But um, in this case, in this situation, um, these private masses that are going on, it doesn't mean they're hidden in a broom closet somewhere. It means it's said silently and Holy Communion is not distributed. And like I said, in this situation, the priest on the altar is probably, phys- there's probably some sort of a physical barrier, even if it's just a rope that's um, 
you know, keeping the faithful in the nave and um, the priest is on the altar some X number of feet away, but you can still see it. You can still see it's happening and you can attach yourself to it. So that's how you can hear mass when all there are are quote unquote private masses. There are no public masses in the sense that there's not, okay, everybody show up at 11 a.m. and I'm going to publicly say mass on the high altar, da, 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 da. That is what is, they've said, yeah, we're not going to do that. But private masses are still going on. So it's, there are still people over in Italy that are hear, hearing, hearing mass, hearing mass and assisting at mass every day, but not receiving, not receiving uh, sacramental communion. Yeah, I saw the the live stream. I don't know if it's the Fraternity St. Peter, but um, there's a live stream of, of a mass from traditional Latin mass from Rome started at noon local time. So I don't know what that is over there. Seven, eight at night. Six, I don't know. 630 or? Oh, know. is it? We're, it was at noon. I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. It's daylight savings, and and I, that throws oh, off yeah. my calculations. I was I was just uh, ranting at somebody on on Twitter about that because they said they they made the reference to Central Standard Time. I was like, uh, that's called Eastern Daylight Time, right? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so I don't know whatever time it was over there, and and it was it was. Um, uh, advertised, somebody mentioned, advertised, it was mentioned on Twitter as, as uh, for, for people who aren't going to mass today. And I don't know how well of a job I'm doing editing on the final version here by the time you hear this, but I'm coughing and hacking and doing things and, and uh, marking all the time codes that I have to go back and edit things out when I'm coughing because I'm getting over something. I don't know what it is, but I, I didn't go to mass this morning either. Um, nor did some of my kids because they're, they're coughing as well. But um, so we, we, we prayed and, and, and we, yeah, we, we knelt in the, in the living room, had the, the best use of my, my Mac so far watching mass and, mm. and uh, joining mass. And that was, they, um, I, I didn't notice it until I realized they were way through the ablutions when I, when I looked back up, but I had the, had the spiritual communion text um, ready so that when they got to the, the part of communion, uh, read read the spiritual communion so that so that uh, my kids could do, could do that along with me. I look back. You have real- to do it when the priest is himself receiving, because since there's no distribution, there's no second confitier, and there's no ecce agnus day. So when you make your spiritual communion, you make it when the priest himself receives, and thus immolates and consummates the sacrifice. Well, that's the most perfect way to do it. But I didn't realize ahead of time that there would not mm-hmm. be a distribution of communion. It was something I noticed only after the fact. It's like, oh, well, that makes complete sense. Yeah. <laughs> things are yep. things are slightly shut down over there right now, so that makes more sense. Although, if the prayers after the after the mass, they they did the the prayers for time time of pestilence. Oh, and, good. And like clearly, there were there was somebody in the in the um, congregation replying as well. Actually, no, it, it wasn't that. It was the it was the Marian hymn they did afterwards, and oh. it was it was not just the 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 priest and the server who were singing. It was there were clearly other voices there, and um, well, there's there's numerous clergy who live in the church. Um, that's and that's common over there is that the clergy live physically in the church, not the nave, of course, but you know the building, and so. I don't. Know, they were. They were probably there. That's their. That's their home. There's no pro- prohibition on them being there. Makes complete sense. I didn't know that, but mm-hmm. yeah. If 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 mass was going on in my home, I think I'd show up. Even, yeah. even if I'd already gone mass, or in their case, already said mass. Why not? Yep. I mean, that's yep. that's part of the spirituality. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, 
Let's see, other items I have in my notes. I, I'm pretty sure you saw the um, blog post that uh, Nanavini Pachin put out about, about the tracing back the the growth rate of coronavirus and tra- tracing it back to possibly having started the day after the Pachin the incident. After. Yeah, and that wouldn't surprise me at all. It wouldn't surprise me at all. And, um, you know, it gets into the question of um, the divine providence, is this... <laughs> Is this sent directly by God? You know, I mean, this is the divine providence playing out. And what I'm already seeing is that there's there's already lots and lots of good coming out of this. And so, um, you know, the divine providence is... He's he's so infinitely good and he's he's so infinitely powerful. And so he takes absolutely anything and turns it to the good and makes all kinds of good things happen. There's Eucharistic processions happening. Um, all kinds of people are now re-engaging and thinking about, oh, spiritual communion. That's a that's a big point that we need to make because I'm I I'm seeing so many people think that they if they go to mass that they are obliged or that it's even sinful if they don't make a sacramental communion you guys goodness gracious listen to me now you do not ever have to make a sacramental communion ever there's another question on uh, father z's post about making a good spiritual communion somebody in the comment thread is asking well if i don't receive communion then are my venial sins forgiven there's nine places in the mass where venial sin is forgiven outside of the mass saying the our father piously and reverently and and you know with with good conscious intention um forgives venial sin there's all kinds of things that forgive venial sin um this notion that you you have to receive you have to receive you have no you don't have to receive sacramentally and frankly up until not too terribly long ago most people did not receive sacramentally but fairly rarely there's all kinds of citations of King St. Louis IX only received Holy Communion approximately six times a year. Catherine of Siena, who was espoused to Christ mystically, mystically espoused to Christ and everyone knew it, only received Holy Communion approximately six times per year and only with the explicit permission of her spiritual director. She was mystically espoused to Christ. Um, There's a letter that the Empress uh, Maria Theresa wrote to her daughter, who is Marie Antoinette, and it was before Marie Antoinette became the Queen of France. She was still just the the Dauphine. So Louis the Sixteenth, Louis the Fifteenth was still alive and and Louis the Sixteenth had not yet become king, but Marie Antoinette had already gone to France and married Louis the Sixteenth. Um, uh, Maria Theresa writes a, a letter of advice to her daughter, Marie Antoinette, and says, you should try to receive Holy Communion um every every 4 to 6 weeks and on high you know high feast days but again only with the explicit permission of your spiritual director she also told marie antoinette that she should hear mass twice on sundays and twice on high feast days and then all other days 
you know, of course, daily mass, of course, but only receiving Holy Communion once every six weeks or so with the permission of her spiritual director. This is this is the queen of France or the future queen of France. People did not generally as policy receive Holy Communion, but very rarely. And yet look at the saints, Catherine of Siena, all of these saints in the in the 14th, 15th, 16th century, 17th century, all of these saints, these people that w- that were not priests, obviously, these people were not communicating every day. In fact, they were communicating relatively rarely. That's why the church has as a precept that the faithful should receive Holy Communion once per year at minimum. And um, the the church also says that you should receive, if you're only going to do that once a year or just in general, it should be during, during Easter. You should communicate. What, if you're going to do your once a year, let's do it at Easter. That's, that's the time when you really should be looking to do it. Um, why so, did, historically, why, the, the regular communion was a rare thing. However, extremely, now, yeah. now that it is more... Um, more widely done, you're not recommending people who would normally prepare themselves well for communion to skip it because that's what they used to do, are you? I'm saying that people right now shouldn't have this thing in their mind that if they don't receive Holy Communion, that they've sinned against God, there's no point in going to Mass, I didn't get anything out of this Mass, my sins aren't forgiven, um, no graces came to me during the hearing and assistance at this Mass. I mean, it, nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. You go to Mass and intense graces are flowing. Um, you make a spiritual communion, and you can make a spiritual communion anytime. You, it isn't just limited to when you're hearing Mass. You can make a spiritual communion, and we'll put uh, the, the Father Z post, which is really good. It contains a lot of citations and specifically the prayers, multiple prayers that you can say to make a spiritual communion. You can do this all day, every day. You can invite Jesus into your heart in a spiritual communion at any time with any frequency whatsoever. I mean, you, there's no limit to it, none whatsoever. Um, and as I've said before, I keep beating this drum. Um, I'm convinced that one of the big, big problems today is that people are, in fact, sacramentally receiving and they're not well disposed. They haven't properly fasted. They haven't properly prepared. Some of them haven't prepared at all. It's just going to mass becomes this just, oh, I'm, I'm going to mass, but, you know, and it's just, I'm going to go up and, and receive and there's no thinking, there's no preparation, there's no fasting. Um, here, here's an interesting way to think of it. You should, you should prepare to receive Holy Communion as if you were preparing for your wedding day. Because that's that's actually what it is. We've talked about how nuptial the mass is, and how nuptial the reception of Holy Communion is. Um, this this incredibly important nuptial motif. Um, you should be preparing to receive Holy Communion as if you were preparing to get married. Now, this there's a lot of people listening to this. I, I can tell you right now, knowing what the demographics are, who are either converts or reverts, and are sitting there thinking to themselves, you know, I do wish that I had prepared for my wedding day 
better than I did. Um, you know, if you're if you're a practicing trad Catholic, especially, you're more likely to have been you know, doing all kinds of prayer preparation. And, you know, the day, the day before your wedding, you were probably, there was all kinds of prayer engagement and, and mental and spiritual preparation for what you were about to do the next day, et cetera, et cetera. Um, a lot of people just, they're, they're, they did no spiritual preparation at all for their wedding. And so I think a lot of people can probably relate to this. Um, don't you wish, don't you wish that you had done more to be better prepared for your wedding day, that you would have, that you would have been more disposed to receiving the graces of the the sacrament of holy matrimony. Okay, it's exactly the same thing with holy communion, except you're 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 marrying God in a certain sense. You're entering into a nuptial exchange with God Himself. You need to be well prepared for this. It is a big deal. It is not a pedestrian sort of a thing. So if this, if this, um, Corona panic is going to bring about good, I think one of the major goods that it can bring about is to get people to start thinking again about how profoundly important, um, Holy communion is and getting people to re-engage the difference between making a sacramental communion and a spiritual communion. I, I think we're already seeing the fruits of this coming forth. And, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to, uh, by not receiving sacramental communion, you're not going to be any weaker. I mean, you're not, you're not losing Unless, unless you make the free choice to, unless your your mind is scrambled and you don't have a, a firm understanding of things, and you you convince yourself if Satan starts whispering in your ear, oh, you you didn't receive sacramental communion, therefore you're, you know, God is now farther away from you. Oh, nothing, no, 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 no. You can you can get closer to God by making spiritual communions, and then. That increases the quality, potentially by orders of magnitude, of the sacramental communions that you then make. You see, if, as I said, that Polish mystic, and I cannot find the citation because, of course, Polish is incomprehensible and there are no vowels and one doesn't even begin to know how to search for something like this. But this this Polish mystic and all the Poles know who this person is. Um, our Lord said to the, said to this person, "I am offended by casual, unrecollected, unprepared for, um, unthinking sacramental communions. That is offensive." And yeah, it is if you think about it. So maybe maybe the quality, the global overall quality of sacramental communions, is going to increase as a result of this. And oh. Oh, that that gives you goosebumps right there to think about how awesome that would be. Well, and you've mentioned many times before that the opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. Yeah. And if you have read the Gospels, you know what is said about about the lukewarm. Yep. So don't take don't take um, don't take opportunities for grace lightly. Indeed, indeed, and avail yourself of it. And 
I know I am, and I'm. I had an absolutely wonderful uh, liturgical day today. I <laughs> I was able to hear two, not hear. You know what I mean. I was able to be present for two private masses, benediction and a baby Eucharistic procession and benediction um, at the door of the church. And it was it was absolutely fantastic. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, can we just can we do this? Every Sunday, I mean, can, can it be like this all the time? I mean, now obviously there were there were not very many people there, but it was it was awesome. And um, I, I take everybody out there who can't go to daily mass for whatever reason. Um, I take you to the mass with me. I take you to adoration with me. Oh, there was adoration today too. Oh, that's that's the other thing. <laughs> so these these private masses are being said on a side altar. The Blessed Sacrament is exposed in the monstrance on in the monstrance on the high altar. How fantastic is that? It wasn't it wasn't quite a um, what are those masses called Quorum Santissimum because that's when you're you're saying Mass and the Blessed Sacrament is exposed on the altar that you're saying Mass on. That is extremely rare, um, but I've seen that and that's that's awesome. But this was kind of like a a demi Quorum Santissimum Quorum Santissimum Mass because on the high altar. Our Lord was in the monstrance, and then over on the on the side altar, the private masses were being said. It was really, really cool. So I got I got everything everything in today. I had a I had one of the fullest liturgical days I've had in a very long time. Rosary before the Blessed Sacrament exposed everything. So, and you know, as long as I'm able to have this level of engagement, then I'm taking all of you there with me. And I know there's a lot of you out there who are, who are not going to be able to go, period. You're not going to be able to go and hear mass at all. Um, so I, I hear you and I feel your pain and I'm taking you with me. And even if worse comes to worse, actually the, the place that I live right now, it's really cool because I, there is a um, Novus Ordo church, like right across the street. I, I'm I'm not saying I can throw a baseball like Raleigh Fingers, but I don't throw like a girl either. I could throw a baseball from out of my window and I could hit um, the back facade of this Novus Ordo church. And so I live right now the closest that I've ever lived to our Lord reposed in the tabernacle. So even if it gets to the point where um, I can't go anymore, you know what? He's he's right outside my window, and I could go outside, and I could stand. You know, I know in that church where the tabernacle is, I could go stand outside next to where our Lord is through the wall, and oh, that's a good thing. Read the mass. Take your missal. It's called a dry mass. When a lay faithful person takes their missile or divinity malfitium on, on their phone, as we as so many of us now do too, um, and you just read the text of the Mass all the way through. You read all the prayers, you, you, know, you read everything. That's called praying a dry Mass. Anyone can do that anytime. So my plan is if worse comes to absolute worst and there's total quarantine and you can't even get anywhere near a church or get, get inside a church, let's put it that way, um, then I can go stand next to our Lord outside of this church on the sidewalk and I could read the dry mass. I could pray my rosary. I can do all kinds of things out there. So, you know, th there's something to be said in the fact that our Lord is reposed on, in the tabernacles and he's not going to leave us. And this also speaks to the fact, just reiterating, so many people, you know, 
Sedmacantus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They, um, they argue that all of these ordinations since the death of Pius XII or whatever, that all these ordinations are invalid and all these masses are invalid. And that is so wrong. And the re- one of the, the reasons we know that's wrong or proof sets that, that we can be assured that this is wrong is because our Lord would not leave us such that we couldn't walk into any Catholic church and know that he's reposed in the tabernacle, even if it's a Novus Ordo church, even if it's a liberal Novus Ordo church. We can be very reasonably assured that when we walk into a, a Novus Ordo church, that when the tabernacle light is on, that our Lord is in fact reposed in there. Um, he's not He's not into tricking people at all. He's not, that's just, that's just not the case. He's in those tabernacles. Um, and so, and yes, we can we can critique and pray for the end of the Novus Ordo. Yes, absolutely, we should do that. Yes, but he's present in the tabernacles. So, yep. Well, that's also the- there there have been recent, and I, by recent I mean since like the eighties and nineties, and these were not at traditional uh, Latin masses where Eucharistic miracles have happened. Mm-hmm. And I will see if I can text the priest who talked about this in a sermon. But it was a it was a mass in South America, in and the priest was having either a crisis of faith or didn't believe one or the other. But mm-hmm. he's still a priest, and when he says the the words of consecration and to, and intends to do what the church does, whether he believes or not, yep, transubstantiation, transubstantiation happens. Yep, and the the bread transformed into flesh, mm-hmm. and of course you know they, I don't know what the exact protocol is for what they do at that point, but uh, the diocesan authorities. Um, cased it in crystal or whatever it was they did and one of the exams by rome is they they sent this um i don't know if they sent the whole thing or just a tissue sample from it to a lab in new york to be examined and and Mm -hmm. this was by some top flight cardiology team at at um i don't know if it was nyu or one of the one of the top flight um cardiology research teams and Dr. Epstein or whatever his name was. Uh, I mean, that, that, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. I mean, he the 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 lead. No, doc- I think that's actually true. I think the it lead was- doctor was Jewish. I don't remember yep. what his name was, and and the reason that's relevant is because anyone, and, and that's why he was chosen without being told exactly what he was he was examining. And I think they even went through a cutout, so it wasn't something where the doctor in question knew this. The sample was being provided for analysis by the Church of Rome. It, it right. was they wanted to have it absolutely as unbiased as possible. And um, the the what what came out of this was that the doctor you know puts it under a microscope and looks at it, and was just he was flabbergasted, and he just continued to look at this it's like, how is this what's happening here even possible? Set aside the question, where'd you get this? I'm going to get to that in a minute. But this is living tissue. The white blood cells are alive and operating in here. That, those die within 20 minutes for a, for a tissue sample that's separated from the body. Mm-hmm. But it was still alive. On further analysis, it was, it was a piece of cardial tissue from the part of the heart which filters the blood. Which is massively significant to think about. What is the effect of Holy Eucharist on the soul and even to the body in some cases mm-hmm. it filters our filth spiritually so that we can be reborn and in, 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 in a sense and and grow in, in in god's life instead of our own putrescence it's to to see that not only is this a, a doctor who's got no skin in the game theologically 
um, and is, is, is wondering how in the heck did you, what, what kind of fast were you pulling? Give me something that was just vivisected from somebody else. Mm-hmm. Except that by the time he, the, the, the examination went on long enough, the white blood cells weren't dying. It's like, there's something very unique about this. Mm-hmm. The part of the heart and significance of what that does in the heart. That's what Holy Communion does for us. Mm-hmm. And to have these Eucharistic miracles come through, and I'm sure we're going to have more of these come through as science gets more profound and, and the ability to discern and identify aspects that, that we never could have before. Yeah. I mean, what, what are the Eucharistic miracles that are, kind of, are, are we going to learn and the insights we're going to gain when they get down to really refined levels of DNA research and analysis? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're going to be learning things that are going to blow our minds all over again that were kind of obvious at the same time. Well, I mean, there's uh, that's already starting to happen with regards to blood type, is that they're realizing that every one of these major um, blood-stained relics of our Lord's Passion, and there are there are multiple, you know, there's the Shroud of Turin, there's the Veron- uh, the uh, the sudarium, which is the hanker, the kerchief that was put around our Lord's head. It was separate from the shroud. Um, there was a separate piece of linen that was put around his head. Um, and that, and all of these Eucharistic miracles, they all come back with the blood type of AB positive, which is pretty rare. Um, it's also a universal and, donor. I couldn't remember which one donor. it was, <laughs> but again, you, you think about this as somebody who's AB can give blood to anybody. Mm-hmm. How about that? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if at some point in the not too distant future, they get down to the DNA level and they're saying, wait, this is all the same person. This is the same person. It isn't just the same blood type. We can tell this is the same person. Yep. Um, so the whole, and I'm glad you brought up the, the, the whole um, soul body distinction. Um, there was some controversy this week on the internet about, you know, um, whether or not going to mass and, and receiving sacramental communion, et cetera, et cetera, if this has any, if this has any salutary effect to the body. And the answer is yes, it does, because we, it specifically says that in the mass, um, after the consecration, one of the prayers specifically says, let me pull it up here. If I may, I'll read the words to you exactly. Um, let not, let not the partaking of thy body, O Lord Jesus Christ, which I, though unworthy, presume to receive, turn to my judgment and condemnation, but let it, through thy mercy, become a safeguard and remedy, both for soul and body, who with God the Father and the unity of the Holy Ghost, livest and reignest God, world without end. Amen. That's the Perceptio Corporis um, prayer, which is, it's um, in the communion rite, it is the prayers before communion that the the priest says, "Let not the partaking of thy body." Um, so, yes, well, it, I, there I are salad. Go I ahead. I want to say something about that in terms of the the controversy on Twitter, and I was I, I wasn't part of it, but I definitely saw it, and I direct mm-hmm. messaged one of the people uh, with the way they were they were describing things, and. My biggest problem with this is these are people who are nominally, allegedly professional communicators, journalists, people who write, Mm -hmm. and they are saying things so loosely with mm-hmm. language that can be interpreted in very, I mean, it, it, it's very Vatican II the way they wrote this. You mm-hmm. can interpret it in, the, in, a, in, a, in a traditional way that makes sense, or you can go completely the opposite way and say, you're saying something blasphemous. Yeah. Do I think the person was blaspheming? No. I was pointing out to them that that's a possible interpretation. 
And it, it really galls me that so many of these, you've called them different names, but the, these, these traditional Catholic professional Catholics, they are not, they, they, they don't um, take care to write in a non-sloppy manner at times. You can't, well, and, and you can't post something that, uh, I'm sorry, you can't post something that, that can objectively be taken as blasphemous and say, well, you know me better than that. Just figure it out. It's like, no, you, you're a writer. You have to be precise. Or how about this? You're on Twitter. That account works to, to create um, a login on, on Medium. Go write a full essay, a blog post, and then link to it with whatever clickbait crap you want to on Twitter, but then a link to how you actually explain this in context. That at least would be a way to get your point across in a way that can be understood. And I'm no writer, well, except for computer programs, but <laughs> but if you're vague to those, they're not going to do what you want them to do, or worse yet, they're going to do what you didn't want them to do. So I understand the concept of you need to be precise and and um, and, and say what you mean. Uh, otherwise, it can be interpreted wrong. Um, I have to question the... <laughs> the journalistic skill of some of these folks that either don't see that or worse yet snap back at you when you point this out and say look this is a little confusing would you mind rewording this so it doesn't cause confusion or worse yet scandal well that's that's you know personality problems of the individuals involved um but i think it just speaks to the Luciferian, the intrinsically Luciferian nature of of things like Twitter, where, I mean, it used to be 140 characters. It's increased now. How many characters? Is it 280 now? 280, 88, something like that. It's still, yeah. it's still short enough that, that um, you can't say a lot. You can't um, say anything. Yeah. I mean, and that you had the, the expectation that everything that is worth saying that has any validity has to be communicated in 288, not words, but characters. And so we're all going to engage in all of these questions, and we're going to navigate what's looking increasingly more likely to be the actual end times on on Twitter and and the the intrinsic lack of clarity and precision that comes from being limited to barking at people in 288 character bursts. And this is Luciferian. This is absolutely Luciferian. We have this capacity to communicate on the internet, and we have intentionally and freely chosen to apparently limit discourse to 288 character bursts, even though we have the capability for almost unlimited amounts of writing and communication and written precision and spoken precision and things like this. No, let's let's freely choose to enter into a Luciferian, highly addictive, highly addictive obviously paradigm. Let's all camp out on this Twitter platform 16, 18 hours a day and bark at each other in 288 character terms so that when you say something, it could be either taken as Orthodox Catholicism or it could be taken as exactly the same kind of mockery that the Jews, the Freemasons, the Protestants, and everyone else have engaged in against the Catholic Church. It could be taken either way. Get off Twitter. All of it. I mean, I'm I'm not actually on it, but un- you know, I it's it's part of people are sending me things. I'm seeing things. Da 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 da. I mean, this th- it's so Luciferian. And you say, well, it's it's the way to, to distribute information. Mm, we got along without it for 
a hell of a long time. Um, I am not at all convinced that we can't go back to a non-Twitter universe. And I think that's something that needs to happen. At least it's not Instagram. I'll say that. And and I'm not on Instagram because, pardon? I don't even understand Instagram. I don't understand what you do. You take a picture and you put it on there and then people leave comments. Is, is, is that it? Well, the reason I say it's like, at least it's not Instagram is, is uh, people can write and have done, I think athletes more than anybody else can write full press limit or press releases on, on that. You don't have the mm-hmm. 288 character limit. You can basically oh. write full blog posts. But yeah, the whole idea is that you're posting a photo. The biggest reason I don't want anything to do with Instagram is that's a Facebook property. Right. And if, if Mark Zuckerberg wants to know where I am and what I'm thinking, he can write me a check. So and until that happens, I can, he can go pound sand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, Twitter, it's it's got its good sides and its negatives. Uh, it, it's like any tool. It's morally neutral. It's better at doing some things than others. I mean, a, a 1911 45 pistol doesn't make a very good hammer. You could use it that way and get the mm-hmm. job done, but that's not really what it's made for. Mm-hmm. In terms of being able to, um, the original limit on Twitter for 140 characters is because when it was first created, the idea is that your primary interface um, to send and receive tweets was actually by text messaging on your phone. And that was limited to 140 characters. Oh, as, okay. as text messaging, SMS, if you want to get precise, um, is giving way to RCS, uh, rich chat format, or rich something format for uh, text messaging. Um, mm-hmm. Those limits are going away. So Twitter now is, is up to 280. Um, I tend to agree with the people who thought that was really bad because there, there's, I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, that having that limit, trying to get, you, you can basically say one sentence, uh, maybe mm-hmm. one and a half sentences in 140 characters. Mm-hmm. It, the constraint forces you to be very disciplined. And if you want to say something well, you've got to be a good writer. Now with 280, it's a lot easier to be sloppy because you've got mm-hmm. the room to do it. And I think I'm seeing more of the whole idea of Twitter threads, which I hate those with a passion. Yeah. yeah. That has become more popular now that Twitter has 280 as opposed to 140 characters because, hey, let's just keep adding tweets on. Oh, never mind the fact that the very same login to the service I'm using could make a full-blown essay on, on Medium and then I could link to it even automatically. Uh, you know. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's it's. I don't think it's the I don't think it's the tool. I think it's the people who use it and and how they're trying to use it. I mean, if millennials are, I don't know, maybe they find this attractive. That that's the part I don't get. Um, I've mentioned before I've got about nine Twitter accounts that I, I use to keep my my interests very precise. And on the one that I use for programming, I can get an answer from the SQL Server team at Microsoft very quickly by by posting a question and tag, ha, putting a hashtag SQL help or SQL Server help. Somebody who who is actually writing the code at Microsoft will, will either uh, answer the question or put a link to, to that question having already been answered. And it's not just limited to that one technology. You can get access to some pretty interesting people in interesting places in technology um, mm-hmm. by, by using those very scoped definitions. Um, but you can also use it to waste a lot of time as well. And that's, that's why I have oh. nine accounts is I can be very precise about how I'm spending my time. Well, yeah, yeah. It's sad to see people just frittering their life away. And I mean, the, the notion that this, this looks to be 
Daniel, Daniel chapter nine, the prophecy of Daniel of the the holy sacrifice being being suspended. Saint Robert Bellarmine predicted that in the final days, in the run up to the Antichrist, that the public sacrifice of the mass would be suppressed. He didn't say the total suppression of the sac- of the holy sacrifice. Saint Robert Bellarmine specifically said. Um, that the public offering of the holy sacrifice of the mass would be suppressed. We're we're living in what it could very, very well be the run-up to the big show, to our Lord returning in glory to judge the living and the dead. And the thought that there are people out there who are just frittering these days away, feeding Twitter and social media addictions and watching horrific television shows and um, playing video games. And, oh, did you hear that um, in Italy? How satanic is this? I I was going to mention it, yeah. Yeah, Pornhub, in their extreme charity, has made all of their content free to everyone in Italy. Can you believe this? So now Satan is coming in and you've got all these people who are staying in their houses, kids home from school, people home from work, et cetera, et cetera. And Pornhub swoops in and says, well, here, here's something that you can do to pass the time. Get people into mortal sin um, and get new, get new addict, get new addicts, get new people, especially kids watching porn. And then because they opened the, the platform up to all of their content, what that's going to do is it's going to get a lot of the people who are already looking at pornography now looking at, you know, worse, more explicit, horrific, twisted, perverted forms of pornography. Oh my goodness. That's just, that's just, it's so overtly satanic. It's unbelievable. But then again, it kind of is believable too. Um, so I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Uh, Matt Walsh, who is one of the contributors to the Daily Wire, it's Ben Shapiro's company. Um, all of his all of his contributors, the big podcasters, they're all Catholic except for Shapiro, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, or Clavin. He's actually Episcopalian. So how does he say that twice? The liturgy, half the theology. But uh, <laughs> Matt Walsh did an entire podcast on, on Pornhub and how they are explicitly... Um, and whether they admit this or not, they are enabling, um, underage pornography. Oh and, yeah. And, um, there was, there was some girl who was caught up in something. Um, it, it, it wasn't the, the, the whole event that was videoed wasn't even really, she was not voluntarily partaking in this. She was trying and trying and trying to get Pornhub to take this down. And finally it wasn't until she posted yeah, perhaps fraudulently, um, sent, sent them a letter with, with the letterhead of, of an attorney that they finally took, did something. Meaning mm-hmm. they could have done it the whole time, they. Yeah. But but there's financial advantage in not doing that. Uh, so I'll include a link to that podcast on there. And before you brought it up, I was going to say talking about the people who are on Twitter and Facebook and playing video games. At least they're not on Pornhub. That's the only good thing I can say about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Th- that's. But man, what what a what a low state we're in when that's about the best you can say. It's it's so incredibly sad. Um, now there's one other thing about um, going to mass, going and praying before our Eucharistic Lord, either in adoration or if he's just reposed in the tabernacle that I wanted to mention, and it goes to the whole you know bodily benefit of these things. I think something that's very important is that 
if you do, if you are a daily mass goer and you're a daily rosary prayer and you're a daily adorer or whatever it is, um, that one of the things that that gives you, and we hear it again in the mass, um, is our Lord, one of the graces he gives you is peace. So like me, for example, I've, do I have any level of anxiety or fear about this situation for myself personally? No, absolutely not. Zero. Zippo. None. Um, years ago, I wrote out a significant natural disaster. I had no anxiety, no, no, um, <laughs> even I, I laugh at the, at the notion of, you know, post, post-traumatic stress, nothing, absolutely nothing. Because when you do these things, one of the graces that you get out of it is peace. Okay, so what does that do? If you're not stressed out, if you don't have anxiety, you're going to be physically healthier and physically stronger. Um, stress, anxiety, all those things, that, that takes a physical toll on your body, on your immune system. So there's absolutely an argument um, that that engaging in and being close to our Eucharistic Lord in whatever way, um, having these things in your life, having a robust prayer life, et cetera, et cetera. And yes, going to mass, going to adoration, or just going to pray with our Lord who's in the tabernacle. These things will help you be a healthier person in the sense that you'll have less stress, less anxiety, and you're probably also, I dare say, probably going to have better self-esteem in the sense that you are going to be less likely or less apt to do intrinsically abusive things to your body, like um, overeat, overdrink, smoke, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, Take take horrible drugs and things like that. Um, you're just going to be, if you're in, if you're in a better place because you're going to daily mass or, you know, I, I understand a lot of people who work can't go to daily mass. And I, like I've said, it's one of the great gifts of my life that I've been now able to go to daily mass basically since I, since I shut down the brokerage and that was on November, what, 17th, 2011. I've basically been a daily mass goer since then. Um, and it's it's a tremendous grace to be able to have that thing and just be be calm and not be afraid of things, not be afraid of dying. Um, it gives you it gives you courage. It gives you moral fortitude. All of these things, um, you know, the the praying of the rosary, um, the third sorrowful mystery, the crowning of our Lord with the crown of thorns. The fruit of that mystery is fortitudo moralis, moral fortitude, courage. Um, all of these things come from that. And that, in turn, I'm absolutely convinced, makes your body healthier. It, it puts you in a better, it just puts you on better footing if you're not, you know, a completely stressed out, wigged out, you know, basket case about everything. God gives you peace. That That's what the actual, not the horrible groping handshake thing that they do in the Novus Ordo, but the true rite of peace in the Mass, um, it, that's, it's our Lord giving, giving us, giving all of us his peace. My peace I give you, my peace I leave you. And he does. He really, really, really does. And that's why, you know, people who, saints, et cetera, et cetera, um, you read these people's biographies and there's just, there's no, 
hysterical, crying, weeping, breakdown, stressing out, flipping out. Saintly people tend to be calm, even keel, don't get rattled, are good under pressure, um, brave, lots of good virtuous bravery and moral fortitude. Um, those gifts, that those graces flow out of the mass and um, being with our Lord physically reposed in the tabernacle or in the monstrance. And so I think that's a, that's a very important point. And um, it's, I think it's why it's just so treacherous, this whole business of, you know, you can't leave your house. You can't go to go into a church because if you do, you're an unwitting carrier and you're going to murder all the old people. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but I just I don't think that that's correct at all. And we can't we can't continue to live like this either. I mean, you can't continue on from here forward. Well, you know, you you might have it and you might be asymptomatic. There's no way to know. Therefore, everybody everybody has to presume themselves to be an asymptomatic carrier and you can't do anything ever again because you're going to kill all the old people. Well, um, no, that's, that's obviously, obviously not the correct way to be looking at this or thinking about this. That's, uh, it's, it's a manipulation. At the same time, if you are an older person and, and you are concerned about this, maybe you've, you've got some uh, compromised immune system. There's nothing wrong with staying home either sure, or, or sure. taking precaution. And if you are somebody who is coughing because you're getting, getting over a cold, especially when stuff going on like right now, it's probably wise for you to stay home from mass. Because not so much that I'm afraid of, well, actually, I'm, I'm half concerned about catching something from somebody else, but I'm more concerned about if I can't stop myself from coughing. Yeah. Um, everyone around me who might be concerned about catching something is like, um, okay, I got to stay away from that dude. I mean, there's going to be a target on my head at that point. And um, <laughs> it's disruptive. I mean, I've had I've had bronchitis and things like that where I you just couldn't stop coughing. You were just coughing all the time. And yeah, it's it's I found it to be unacceptably um, disruptive to go to mass like that. And the other rule of thumb that I think we've probably all used for our entire lives is that if you have a fever, if you have an active fever, it is kind of taken for granted that you are in fact contagious and shedding. And so you you should self-quarantine whenever you have a fever. Don't go out if you have a fever. If you have a fever, go to bed and, you know, sweat like a racehorse and let your body do its work. Keep an eye on yourself, obviously. Watch that temperature. Don't let it, don't let it spike or get too high. But um, at the same time, when I get a fever, I don't immediately run off and take um, and an anti-inflammatory or a fever reducer. Um, I don't do that because I specifically want, man, I want that, you know, 102 to, to get her done and kill whatever it is that needs to be killed. That's why we get fevers. So, but yeah, absolutely. Common sense, elderly people, people with pre-existing conditions and morbidity. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't want to go, but I, the, the danger of this turning into just everybody has to be sealed in their houses for the rest of time. This is, this is not right. And this is not sustainable. I think this is, well, I, I don't want to use the term blowover, but I think this is going to be modified within a, a week or two at most. Um, either we're going to see numbers spike significantly, um, making this a very, a very prudential thing to stay home and, and not interact with other people. Or we're going to find out that it's not as bad as we thought. It's still very, very early. And I, that's something that you look at the math and, and the way this has the potential to grow logarithm, logarithmically. Um, 
exponentially. Exponentially. Um, mm-hmm. uh, be, in part because people, immune systems of humans on this planet, um, not like there's any, anywhere else, um, <laughs> haven't seen this before. So you, we're seeing the introduction of something that, you know, what happens to the population when there's no, when the immune system doesn't know what to do with this? Um, I don't know. It's... I don't want to use the terms. It's going to be interesting, but um, it's not going to be boring. And and for it, you mentioned that that you know that good good comes from the negative as, it, as mm-hmm. well. I mean, it it's horrible that this has to be the means to get get people's attention. But when when times turn rough, that's when people will finally turn back to God and start praying. It's like yeah. the phrase in in a foxhole: "There there are no atheists." Um, yeah, sometimes look at the Old Testament. How many times did did the uh, the did the Jews have to be knocked down and and dragged off to yep. in, into captivity before they would amend their ways? And we made the comment earlier about um, the, the the potential outbreak of this happening the day after the Pachamama. Mm-hmm. Somebody somebody on on uh, Twitter uh, quoted this. They bowed before the Baal of Peor. I don't know if, if that translated correctly. Uh, eight offerings made to the lifeless gods. They roused him to ang- They roused God to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. Psalm 106. Mm-hmm. Uh, assuming that's the correct translation, because I know that Psalms, depending on where you take it, it could be 105 or 107. But um, I'll research the correct citation and put that in the show notes. Put the Catholic numbering, please. <laughs> yes. Yes. And the way you and the way you the if you go to drbo.org, which um, that's the Douay Reims. That's a fantastic website. And I think those are SSPXers who put that together. That is that is one of the top websites that I use is DRBO. That it's just so well laid out. You've got the English, you've got the Latin, you can do the English and Latin together verse by verse. It's just fantastic. But if you want to know what the Catholic numbering or go find a psalm with the correct Catholic numbering, go to DRBO because that's the correct numbering. And every time I ever mention a psalm in a blog post, ever, I always get snarky emails from people saying, you're so stupid, that's not Psalm 118, it's Psalm 119. And I said, well, if you use the Protestant numbering, my dear, it is. And they're like, what? Yeah, yeah, Scooby-Doo. Yeah, that's, uh, you've been using the the Protestant numbering system. This is the Catholic numbering system. So, um, yes. And, um ugh. I said, what was your original point? Where were we? We're trying to oh, I just, got off on just the, the whole idea that um, giving fall, giving worship to false gods and plagues happen as a result, oh, yes. and the fact that it's been traced back that the the outbreak of COVID nineteen happened all the day either after. to the day or the day after it happened. So yeah, and um, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but it one of the things that actually is the most terrifying is not just talking about you know, us in our, in our little demographic and the listeners out there and all that. Um, think about the people in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood, as we go drop into the Sesame Street song, uh, the people out walking the streets who are basically apostate. What is it going to take for those people to stop contracepting? I mean, can you imagine? What is it going to take for those people to acknowledge that their divorces and remarriages are adulterous, are false and adulterous? Can you imagine what that is going to take? Um, if you if you think about it in those terms, then folks, this this is just the very beginning. And like I said, it could be that that kind of um, 
that kind of black swan event, uh, to use a financial term, um, could be completely self-induced and induced by the Freemasonic media itself, as we're seeing with this. So, um, yeah, like you're, you're messaging me link for what link for what <laughs> inside baseball listeners. <laughs> no, actually that was, um, that was somebody else. You're on that channel as well, but, uh, the- Oh, talk, talk about yeah. Financial Friday. Uh, the Fed is going to ZERP tomorrow, and there it is. Yeah, we're not doing Financial Friday today, but I'm sure there's there's plenty of topics around this that we could. Um, maybe we'll do another podcast this week. We'll see. Yeah, well, episode one one oh six will be will be interesting to put it mildly. I I very much look forward to yeah. seeing so, what what is said in episode one oh six. Since we're self quarantining and have nothing else to do. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is one of the uh, this is one of the best uh, time passers that one can do while while in a state of, of self quarantine. So there you go. Well, aside from uh, reading prayers and praying correctly and and uh, deepening your spiritual life, which definitely Indeed. you should do. And, and if you, if if that's the best thing that comes out of this podcast is is to say, hey, hit stop and say some prayers and and have a, a deep and authentic prayer life. Uh, make a spiritual communion yeah (laughs) press pause right now and make a spiritual communion yes or to that end let's just wrap the podcast until episode 106 and then uh, we've only got a couple of minutes here um and uh, until it's done and then you can go pray uh the email address for the podcast where you can send feedback comments or suggestions is podcast at barnhart.biz masses for Anne's benefactors whether they're public or private Mm. Uh, at least one mass every day uh i think you said two in a lot of cases and of course, and sometimes one, three. Mm-hmm. And sometimes three. And, sometimes uh, three. and of course, once a week, uh, there's a requiem mass, a traditional Latin requiem mass for everybody who died in the previous week. And those numbers with regard to coronavirus are mounting. Um, mm-hmm. Still nowhere close yet to what just the common seasonal flu does. And I had forgotten how many the flu kills every year until these numbers started coming out. But the, the point is that uh, pre- tens of thousands in the U.S., like pray- 40,000 or something. Pray for the priests. Um, they, the, some of them are making house calls and they're going to get, mm-hmm. get, get they're going to catch things that they wouldn't have otherwise because they are doing what priests do. I saw a link that seven priests in northern Italy have died from COVID-19 so far. Um, pray for the priests. They, they yes. all are going to die just like we will, too. And as they fall, that that makes it, you know, that that, that shortens the or limits the, the number of people who could give us the sacraments. So pray for them. They absolutely need it. Yes. The Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you found something of value in this or in previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com for the mailing address, which is 10940 Parallel Parkway, K2, or K303 in Kansas City, Kansas. Um, that's what Paul did, and that's the only donor so far this week. Um, thank you, Paul, and uh, for anyone else who wanted to uh, donate the information. Still no electronic donations yet. Um, Got to get my tax stuff figured out yet. Um, stuff that Ann doesn't do. <laughs> um, ah. <laughs> Supernerdmedia.com slash donate. Uh, Matthew seventeen twenty. The Matthew 1720 intention, which continues apace, (laughs) Bergoglio today, oh goodness, at his his, uh, morning homily, he said, the guy, he doesn't even even have a passing familiarity with the Gospels. He said that the woman at the well confessed her own sins. Oh dear. Okay, so the Matthew 1720 intention is that um, anti-Pope Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and the whole anti-papacy be nullified. 
intention number two, that Pope Benedict XVI be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living pope since April of 2005. Intention number three, that anti-Pope Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, and someday achieve the beatific vision. And intention number four is that Pope Benedict repent of anything that he might need to repent of, that he dies in a state of grace in the fullness of time, and that he too someday achieves the beatific vision. Nothing less will do. And we keep going and fast and pray, and and uh, it should all take on much, much more significance and urgency in, in these days especially. Well, one way or the other, we are one day closer to our final judgment uh, or to our particular judgment than we were yesterday. Yep. And uh, make sure you're ready for it. And yep. with that thought in mind, until next time, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Ann. Thanks, guys. God bless. Oh, but I should mention the, the music we're going, going out with this time, uh, as opposed to the typical finale of the Cavalry Charge, we're going out with um, the Marian Antiphon in Time of Pestilence. So Very it's going nice. to sound different. That's why. And now you know what it is. And the link for that also will be in the show notes. All right, guys. Enjoy that. We'll see you. Uh, we'll see you in episode 106. God bless. Stella celi extirpavit, quelactavit dominum. Mortis pestem quam plantavit, primus parens hominum. Ipsa stella nunc dignetur, sidera compescere. Quorum bella plebem cedunt, dire mortis ulcere. Opissima stella maris, apeste succurre nobis. Audi nos domina, Nam filius suus, nihil negans te honorat. Salva nos, Iesu, proquibus virgo mater, Teo. Oh, 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 oh.